with you? It is good to be with you, and I see you brought friends this morning. Uh, last week when we started, wow, look at that beautiful cross from Egypt. Coptic cross. Well, welcome back, Nancy. Good to see you. Um, last week when we started, as I was starting to say, numbers were down, and then, you know, loaves and fishes, people kept coming, and look, the, the numbers continue to grow. So we're excited we're to be all together this morning. We are continuing in our journey of faith-seeking understanding, talking about the big points of Christian theology. The last few weeks, we spent talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what does the cross mean? What does the cross do for us? What is atonement? We talked all about violence of the cross. We pondered, did Jesus really have to die on the cross? And we ultimately answered yes, but not quite the, the yes that I think many of us were expecting when we came into the class that hour. And now we've been transitioning to talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I will give you a heads up that I am going to turn things over to Elder Edith Ophart at around 10 o'clock. So she is going to uh, lead us through a portion of the talking about the Holy Spirit from a different angle. Um, and while I run down the hall to a bell choir rehearsal. So she will lead us the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. But um, everyone has a packet. You should see brief statement of faith at the top and then the um, beautiful mosaic there. be better if it were in color, but um, of, of a, the Holy Spirit, the dove of the Holy Spirit. So I want to actually um, jump into this brief statement of faith talking about this and the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, Let us invite the Holy Spirit to be here with us. Almighty God and Father, we give you thanks for the gift of this day, for the gift of your Son every day, the ways that we see um, the face of Christ in one another and in the stranger whom we do not not know. We pray that our eyes may be open to see you at work in this world. May your Holy Spirit be with us here. May your Holy Spirit guide us in these conversations and reveal himself to us this day. We pray in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I shared last week, it was, and we've been talking about for the last few weeks, whenever we have the creeds, right, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, you've got this short section about God the Father. You've got this really extended middle section about Jesus the Son. And then again, you come back to a short end section talking about the Holy Spirit. There's only a few things, right? The the giver of life. Um, and so in looking at, if you, if you take the entire book of confessions from the, our denomination, um, you learn that there's a lot more said about the Holy Spirit in other confessions. Because again, the apostles, Nicene, they're the, among the oldest, and they um, don't say a lot. They're really making sure in those early centuries, the, the, um, the divisive things were around Jesus. So in order to make sure you are orthodox, we need to make sure that you really believe Jesus suffered and died. It didn't just look like he suffered and died. You need to um, believe that he was born of a virgin, right? That he actually took on human flesh. All those things were so important that the focus was there. Also, as we've talked about, it's easy to focus in on the story of Jesus. There are four Gospels. There's lots of material there. How do you summarize that into a creed that you can say in about a minute, minute and a half? 
um, it's hard to do. So obviously, Jesus gets focused on. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit get a little bit of short shrift in the early creeds, but in the later creeds there is an expansion. And here with a brief statement of faith, we get a very full expansion. I, I really do um, enjoy the brief statement of faith. It is, if you're ever bored one Sunday morning, you're like, I've got nothing to do. I don't know any of these people around me. First of all, you can meet those people around you. But if you're really like, oh, I've got a call that I want to talk to anybody, open up the hymnal to about page 36, right? You've got the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and right after that, you've got the entirety of the brief statement of faith. It is a beautiful summary of the faith, and it does a very good job of being equal and balanced because we're not in the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th century worrying about, are you a heretic? Are you a ter- heretic? Those, we have different concerns. Our concerns of today are being equal and balanced and really giving a full definition of who all the persons of the Trinity are. And so, and the brief statement of faith came about, I believe, in the 1980s, around the same time of the merger. 1983 is when the PCUSA was formed, and the brief statement of faith came out of that same time period. So, modern um, and, and helpful. So, Let's, let's, uh, your homework last week, actually, I should ask that. Your homework last week was to take this home and determine how many things the Holy Spirit is described as doing. Who did the homework? Anybody do the homework? Oh, we all forgot. <laughs> we all forgot. This teacher's going to drink his coffee for about 90 seconds or so. I want you to peruse and determine how many things the spirit, what are the actions that the spirit does or is doing? And I want you to give me a number after I, after I drink some coffee here. So 90 seconds, go. What do we think? 11? 17? Are we reading the same thing? I have 12 as well. It depends on how you count, especially in the second column, line 67, starting in that section. You get a lot of verbs that are what the Spirit helps us to do, and it gets a little confusing. But yeah, uh, over 10, right? Let's say around a dozen. This is a lot more than um, the giver of life, right? There's a lot going on here. What does the Spirit up to? And in contrast with the, the four Gospels, right, we, we get snippets of stories of what the Spirit is up to, and we have to understand from, from the Hebrew Bible that the Spirit is alive and active. Um, but these kind of help to coalesce and bring together all these ideas. So I'm going to just run, run through the ones I see, and if there's one I miss in the process, shout out and say, oh, you forgot that one. Line 53, the giver and renewer of life. The Spirit justifies. The Spirit sets us free. The Spirit binds us together. Skipping down to line 59. The Spirit inspired, inspires as well, uh, rules our faith and life, engages us, claims us, feeds us, right? So there's all the sacramental connections. Isn't that beautiful? So, engages us through the word, claims us in baptism, feeds us on the, with the bread of life. Isn't that great? So that's all about what happens in the worship service. And then 64 calls women and men. So this is, dis- again, this is distinctively Presbyterian, right? PCUSA, 
uh, because not every, you know, you wouldn't get every denomination to affirm that the, the Spirit calls women and men. But this was, for the era, right, this was um, even a little edgy, even in the 80s um, and still today. Some, some would say that that's not, um, this, that's not what's happening. But we affirm, the PCUSA, that women are just as called to ministry as men. And then line 66, the Spirit gives us courage. And then um, the, all of the, the following verbs there, to pray, witness, unmask, hear, tend to work, those are things that the Spirit gives us courage to do. So it's kind of like, who remembers diagramming sentences back in English, anybody? It's like the main part is gives us courage, but then it's like, ding, 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 right? It's one of those big, it's not quite diagramming a sentence, but you get the point. Um, yeah. Okay. So questions on this? Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. There, there are. They're extensive, so they're not here with this. But they're yeah. It would take like another whole page of scripture references. Um, yeah. Yeah, Fred. Okay. Okay. Yep. Same exact thing, right? It's just like we can call Jesus, Jesus, or the Christ, or the Son of God, the Son of Man. They're just titles that are, you know, certain people cling to and, um, yeah, paraclete, Holy Spirit, same thing. Yep. Um, and advocate, fire, breath of God, all those things, just different ways of talking about the Spirit. Great. Any, so if there are no questions there, I, I just love this. It's a great summation. Let's flip over. I know we started talking about this a little bit last week, but we were so pressed for time. I want to give a little bit longer discussion on this. Um, and I remember I sang that song, Lone Wild Bird. What I love so much about the text of that um, is the, the idea that the Spirit does what the Spirit does. And the Spirit surprises us, right? Um, in all of this, as I said last week, I am being very intentional. I have to overcome um, something in me of wanting to talk about the Spirit as an it, uh, the Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is a being, but gender fails us here because we talk about Jesus, obviously, anatomically in his human body was male. We understand God as Father because that's how Jesus revealed God the Father to us, um, yet understanding that God the Father wouldn't anatomically be male or female. God is other than human, right? God the Father is not Human. So there's this otherness. When we get to the discussion of the Holy Spirit, gender fails us. English doesn't do, do it justice, do justice to the conversation of the Spirit. Because if we say him when talking about the Spirit, then we automatically assume God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all male. Some talk about the Spirit as the feminine side of God. Um, others say that, that the Spirit is a neuter a uh, non-gendered part of God, person of God. Uh, and there are some linguistic 
um, arguments to be made, right? In Latin, the word spiritus is masculine. Pneuma in Greek is, is um, neuter. And then ruach in Hebrew, it is uh, feminine. So in the, the main biblical languages and through the history of the church, we have clung onto all these genders. But you, all, you do see throughout the scriptures, you do see um, feminine images of God um, emphasized, right? Jesus even says, like a mother hen, I wish to gather, gather all my children up. Throughout Isaiah, through the prophets, there are multiple places where God is referred to in feminine terms. And so um, I was very surprised in reading Migliori that he, I have long heard through seminary the whole thing about, well, in Latin and the Hebrew and the Greek and all the genders, I've long heard, well, the spirit can, is the, is the spirit, the spirit does what the spirit will, the lone wild bird. Um, and so uh, Migliori kind of, uh, I'm not sure if he throws the baby out with the bathwater, but he kind of rejects all the linguistic stuff that I've been taught in seminary was a worthwhile venture. And he really says, all of God has feminine and masculine aspects. And I like where he arrives, but I'm not sure if I, if I jive with how he gets there. All of this is to say, when we speak about the spirit, English does not do us well, because the spirit is not, has never taken on bodily form. Um, as far as we know, right? Um, the spirit doesn't have a physical gender, and to say it makes us think the spirit is not a person. But the spirit has personality. The spirit has personhood, right? Is a co-equal um, person of the Trinity. Um, so language fails us, but we have... So if I say it, hopefully you'll forgive me, but um, it's something we have to work through. Fred? No, I don't think so. I think it's because it's it's three persons in one uh, being. And three, yeah, so I don't think it necessarily has, because God the Father isn't necessarily, as I just said a moment ago, anatomically male. But Jesus is, because Jesus was an embodied, is embodied and incarnate human. So Jesus has gender. I would argue God the Father and, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit do not necessarily have anatomical gender. Um, uh, okay. So we have, by and large, as in the early church, we focus in on Jesus so much to the neglect of the Holy Spirit and um, almost have become Christocentric, which sounds like it's a good thing, except when we start to neglect God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, we start to have a different understanding of faith, a different understanding of, of uh, how God works in our lives and works in our world. And so um, there are other churches, we well know there are other churches that focus in on just the Holy Spirit. And they talk about God and Jesus, but especially in the Pentecostal churches, right, there's a huge emphasis on on the coming of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what are the gifts of the Spirit that you possess? That's language that we do not we do not really use all that often, even though that's biblical language. There's a certain emphasis being given to certain 
um, certain elements, certain things over others. Um, and so there is, in, in the last decades, the last centuries, there has been this renewal of getting back to focus on the spirit, not at the detriment of other uh, the other persons of the Trinity, but kind of having this equality in focus and in vision. So, okay, let's go then to a sketch of theology, of a theology of the Holy Spirit. And again, this comes from Migliori. So the Holy Spirit, as attested by Scripture, is the presence and power of God at work in the world to accomplish God's purposes. The presence and power of God. So this is, um, we talked about last week, some arms, of, some branches of the church use the language of Jesus is in your heart. Well, we believe Jesus is an incarnate, still incarnate. He's still in the flesh at the right hand of the Father. So to say Jesus is into your heart, I'm going to use you, you again, Dan. Uh, it would be about as to say, Dan, can you get into my heart? Right? And we don't want that because Dan's a surgeon. We all had a good laugh about that last week. Um, but, but the idea of Jesus being in your heart isn't possible because Jesus is incarnate. Yet, um, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the bridge from heaven to earth. Right? Connecting us to God, the Father, and through Jesus, the Son. The Spirit is the connecting force. So when we talk about Jesus being in our heart, I think the language is still valid, but I would put a little asterisk on it. Jesus can be in your heart through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Spirit. The presence of Jesus is made known because, as Fred said a moment ago, the three in one, Trinity, right? God is revealed. Where one member of the Trinity is, where one person of the Trinity is, there are all three. Now, I know that kind of contradicts a little of what I said of Jesus being embodied in heaven, blah, blah, blah. But um, there is this mysterious union that we cannot understand that God, um, wherever one member of the Trinity is, all three are present. Okay. So, there, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And this is, so my work here is, uh, I'm trying to take about 30 pages of Migliori's chapter and summarize it into about three. So I'm leaving a lot of things out here, but absolutely Migliori uh, would say, uh, as well as, Pres as other Presbyterian theologians like him, would say, absolutely, the Holy Spirit is a co-equal member of the Trinity. Um, and it's even there... Right In the brief statement of faith, that very uh, first line, 52, in this section, we trust in God, the Holy Spirit. There is this sense that Holy Spirit equals God, God equals Holy Spirit. There is no separation. There is no difference. Um, and so I think it's just saying, uh, imagine taking, take out the power for a moment. Take out the word power. Is the presence of God, the embodiment of God, is God. I think those are all synonymous. I think he's trying to just kind of, you know, peel back a layer of the onion and say, oh, look at that little teeny cell on that onion. Isn't that interesting? But there's, yeah, there's a whole lot more going on here. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why English fails us here. And this is, um, there's a, a large movement, um, and Migliore would be right in there, of trying to, whenever we talk about God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, to remove gender and not to say his. So that's what that's about. That's not saying uh, God is other than the Holy Spirit. That's a way of saying the Holy Spirit is in the world to accomplish the Holy Spirit's purposes because the Holy Spirit is God. Yeah, it's, it's all really the same. It's just a, it's, it's to avoid his purposes. Yeah. Did you have something to add there, Dan? Did I see you? No? Okay. So there in letter A, we focus in on uh, the Spirit being active from the very beginning, right? In Scripture, we might imagine um, we might imagine that the Holy Spirit comes into being at Pentecost because that's the first time we really hear about, at least in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, well, Acts, actually. Um, but in, in the, the Gospels, that's really the first time we, we hear about the Spirit. You've you got, you got the mention at the baptism. You've got the mention in the transfiguration. Um, this voice of God this, through the Spirit. Um, but really, when we look back through the entirety of Scripture, the Spirit is present and active from the very beginning in creation giving life to all the creatures, giving gifts of intelligence, skill, artisanship. Isn't that interesting? Um, so if you know someone who is, or you yourself, are gifted in artistry, right? You are inspired um, in art, in music, in any way, shape, or form, writing. Um, we can affirm that the Spirit, who is the giver, right? God is the giver of all good things, the Spirit is the one that is moving in you, somehow inspiring you to create. Isn't that a beautiful image? The Spirit offers assurance of forgiveness of sins. It gives courage to the downtrodden, brings life, new life out of death, restores hope, and promotes justice in the land. When you start to lay these things out, it almost becomes hard to say, well, wait, what's God the Father up to? Because often we, we talk about Jesus and say anything that's going on is either Jesus or God the Father. Again, coming back to the neglect. But in recovering the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we really say the Spirit is up to a lot in the world. Every, every way that God is present and made manifest in the world today is through the Holy Spirit. The presence and the power of God. Okay. And there's this sense that the Spirit is also present and active in all of God's work. Creation, reconciliation, and consummation, right? That's the entirety. That's the whole from creation to consummation, right? That's the eschaton. That's the idea that at the very end, God will reconcile and bring everything back and make everything right. That is the Spirit. Okay. Number two. According to the New Testament, the activity of the Spirit has its center and criterion in Jesus Christ, confirming the truth of his saving work, empowering new life in him. So there's this, um, there's this beautiful image uh, at, the, at the seminary where I attended. It's uh, Pittsburgh Seminary of John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. And he has this un, un, unhuman 
long finger, right? It's like, that's like three times the size of his hand. Um, and he's pointing to Jesus, right? And that is John the Baptist's work, right? Through his whole life, he is pointing to, he is the forerunner. He is the one who prepared the way and here's Jesus. This is what it's all about. It's not about, right? John's not like, look at me, guys. He's like, look, there is the Lamb of God. Um, the Spirit is the one who inspired John the Baptist to, in his ministry, to know Jesus when he saw him, to understand this is the Christ, the Son of God. And the Spirit in the world today and throughout history and through all the future history, right, is John the Baptist of the ages, pointing towards Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Then Jesus points to God the Father, right? There's this beautiful um, continuance of relationship, of saying uh, the spirits. That, that's, why, that's part of the reason I believe there, there's been a neglect about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's not like, hey guys, come over here, look what I'm up to. No one's really pointing to the Holy Spirit to say, wow, what a great thing the Spirit's doing, because the Spirit's all about, no, 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 no. The Spirit's a spotlight saying, look at what Jesus has done. Look at this. And this is not just something to behold. This is something to respond to. And let me, as I'm doing a spotlight, let me work on your heart to inspire faith, to draw out of you faith that is transformative so that you don't just look at this and say, oh, Jesus is a good guy. But no, that you, you look upon Jesus and see the Son of God who has changed history in his life, death, and resurrection, and your job is to respond to that. All of, every element there, everything that we do to respond, the Spirit's there first. The Spirit's the one, just like John the Baptist, preparing the way, preparing our hearts. I'm reminded of, um, I've been reading these, this great um, book by missionary Jack Papiers, who was a um, among the Canela people of Brazil for about 22 years, helping them to translate their scriptures. And I mentioned a story of his over the summer in the Revelation sermon series. And I'm reading another book of his now all about translation. And he talks about um, how a culture that doesn't have any knowledge of who Jesus is, God the Father, God, they've never heard anything about the Judeo-Christian God. They know nothing. But still, he says, missionaries again and again are amazed that something is built into their culture. The Spirit has already been at work there. Even if they don't know the Spirit, they can't name the Spirit. The Spirit has been at work adding a redemptive thread through their culture so that when Christians come, when the missionaries come and say, Jesus is the Son of God, they, they start to say, oh, well, of course that makes sense, right? So the culture, I, he references a culture, I can't, uh, in a, a particular element of the Canela uh, culture I cannot recall right now. But um, working with the Karen people of Burma and Thailand, one element there, um, when Adoniram Judson went to Burma about 18, 1815 or so, uh, he helped to translate the scriptures into Burmese, the entirety of the scriptures into Burmese. What a feat. And the Karen people really wanted to know what he, what he was up to, 
what is all this? And he said, I'm not here for you guys. I'm here for the Burmese. I don't even speak your language. I can't help you. And again and again, they came and they came and they came. And he could never figure out why. Um, and then he learned that they had a story in their, in their mythology of the legends of the beginnings of the world. And the story went that at the beginnings of the world, there were seven brothers and each one was given a book, a book with the words of life. And, and the peoples went out all throughout the world, but the Karen people had lost their book. And the story was that one day, one of the brothers would come back and bring the golden words of life. The Holy Spirit was at work. Hundreds of years before Adoniram Judson walked in and, and set foot on Burmese soil, the Karen people knew that God was up to something. They had this idea God was coming, and so they were receptive. They were receptive to the Spirit centuries before they'd ever even heard of the Bible. And, and you know those old Bibles, those beautiful old Bibles that have the gold, you know, gilded page edges, right? I have to imagine that that was the very Bible Adoniram Judson held. The golden book of the words of life. The Holy Spirit was alive and active well before the Spirit said, hey, it's me, right? Spirit knew. And a lot of cultures have those. Oh, yes. Right. And yeah, there's a, there's a sense of a redemptive... Um, foreshadowing there's there's some element that 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 can be used to illuminate the gospel um yeah okay moving on to um we've already talked about this the 2a here the spirit bears witness to and represents christ right christ is made present again through the spirit and i love that line the spirit spans the gap between then and there and the here and now Right? We always talk about that gap in understanding. Jesus was from a different culture from 2,000 years ago. How can we possibly understand everything that was going on? Well, the Spirit, the same Spirit that was with Jesus, the same Spirit that inspired all the writers of Scripture in, this, in writing down the Scriptures, that same Spirit, see, that's a problem, that Spirit, the Spirit, um, he, she, <laughs> the uh, Spirit is with us here, with us now. Let it be the Holy Spirit is the power of new life in Christ, the source of new life. And, um, of course, we know the, the well-told story, the oft-told story of John 3, uh, when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, saying, you must be born again. The Spirit is the one who brings new life through Christ, right, in Christ. But here is another one of those feminine images, right? The Spirit is, we have to be born of the Spirit, born again of the Spirit. Well, um, that's, that's very feminine language, right? Being born, through, um, born again by the Spirit. Letter C, the Holy Spirit is the power of new freedom in Christ. So any liberation in the world, um, Spirit continues and does this liberating work of Christ in the world to set us free 
from bondage, from sin, from evil in the world, uh, anything like that is the Spirit at work. And that also applies not just in our own individual lives, but that applies to societal lives, um, government and, and cultural lives. How, are, how is anyone being oppressed? Wherever injustice is occurring, we have to have hope and believe that the Holy Spirit of God is present, is there, and is at work trying to bring shalom, right? That's the ultimate hope, creation, reconciliation, consummation. We're still in this middle phase. We, the, the end has not come. We have hope that the end will come someday. Everything will be set right. In the meantime, we believe the Holy Spirit is here, present, the agent of God, who is also God, um, bringing about peace, justice, wholeness, shalom. Letter D, the Holy Spirit is the power of new community in Christ, right? This is um, what we've talked about in as the Spirit draws us to Jesus, and we are called to respond to Jesus in faith. You can't be a Christian by yourself. It's re- Let me say, it's really hard to be a Christian by yourself. What the, the beauty of the Spirit is that the Spirit is a community builder, right? Drawing us into community because even as the, the first uh, second Peter passage that you have heard or will hear this morning says, you can't understand the scriptures without the spirit at work through the community. I just love that idea. And um, when we come to faith, we don't come to faith on our own. It is often through someone else, right? That sermon I preached last week, someone came along, someone planted seeds, someone watered them, and God gave the growth. But the Spirit was already working at the, in that person's life who planted the seeds. The Spirit was working in the life of the one who watered. The Spirit is engaged in every step of the process. Um, and it's the community that draws us to Christ. And it's Christ and, well, it's the Spirit that draws us to Christ to worship in community. Does that make sense? There's a lot there. We could really talk about that a long time. We've talked about this already, a letter E, the Spirit is the giver of gifts, or charismata, which is just the Greek word, um, for the building up of that community. It's not just that the Spirit is, um, gives you a gift just because, right? And these aren't just like, you know, here's a Mercedes. No, it's not like that kind of a gift. It is the gift of building up the community, right? The gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, all those things. Those are, throughout the history of the church, ways that people were inspired to proclaim Christ. It's not say, oh, I'm speaking in tongues, look at me. Ultimately, the reason um, that tongues were given was to uh, point to God, right? That's why it needed to be a trans, someone translated the tongues, right? It wasn't just a, a, a strange word is spoken, no one knows what it says, and... What do we do with that? No, the idea is there's something spoken. They are understood because the under, in understanding, the Spirit is point, pointing back to God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son. Okay. 
And then uh, the Holy Spirit is the power and promise in Christ of the completion of all God's works. Um, we have that great phrase, the first fruits or the first installment, the guarantee. We know that whatever the Spirit is doing, it is just um, in this period of reconciliation before the end. We, have, we see grace in our midst, right? Kevin will give a beautiful grace in our midst uh, in a little while. And um, Kevin Anderson, that is. And, and when we see that grace in our midst, we have hope that that's not all there is. That's not the final word. That's just the first installment, the first fruits, something amazing that uh, this has to be from God. That is a demonstration of how God is at work in the world and points forward, right? Our life in Christ is not static. We don't just stay here. There is this always this, this drawing us towards the future where the Spirit is at work and the Spirit brings all things to final reconciliation and consummation. And a scratch or is that a question? Okay. Fred. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And we did, we, we talked about that when we tackled Trinity in here, we did talk about that metaphor. Um, yeah, no, no, that's okay. But uh, I'll come back to it because I think it's something a lot of us have been taught um, about um, the understanding the Trinity is in three forms of, you know, ice, water, and vapor. Um, and yeah, it does get around the, it's, it's an alternate understanding of it's the first issue with it i think is it's non-scriptural um but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing it just means you know is it really from the biblical witness or is it just from our our own world because um, i you know would it have been understood through the ages uh you ask somebody two thousand years ago you talk about ice they'd be like i don't know what that is so that may not be all that helpful so it's 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 moderately helpful in the modern day however um that's an example of modalism, which is the heresy that God is one thing at one time, one thing at another, and one thing at another. There's no sense of God is all three at all times. And so, yeah, because you can't be in two, two uh, physical states at the same time. You can't be both a—you can't be all three. You can't be water, vapor, and ice all at the same time. The same chemical compound, yeah. But see, in my uh, systematic theology class, we talked about that, and our professor said um, that is a heresy that does not preach. So, um, just depends. Depends on who your teachers are, I guess. So, but no, I I think it's helpful to a point, but it it tries to describe mystery um, that uh, can't be described really. Okay, we have just a few, I'm going to 
Um, may I have two more minutes to just open the floor to ask questions? There's a little more here. I think we've kind of really covered it. I will just focus on to say the Spirit's work is not just Earth-focused, but really cosmic. Um, we have to understand that there's a cosmic scope. Um, if we believe that all of creation is fallen or broken and we're needing God's reconciling, um, that means that the Spirit is at work throughout the cosmos, working to reconcile all of the cosmos to God. Okay, we have a few minutes before I turn things over to Edith. Yes. And the, so I like the word agent a lot. And at the same time, going back to what Greg had said earlier, we have to remember that, yes, the Holy Spirit is the, an agent of God, but also the Holy Spirit is God. And so um, it gets a little tricky because at any time you start saying, well, the Holy Spirit does this, and um, you start to get away from that center. And so it's, it's hard. You're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth at the same time. Right. Hmm. Sure. Right. But to pray to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. So we can we can pray to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all equally, understanding that um, you know the Holy Spirit isn't is mostly concerned with that, like John the Baptist, that long finger pointing to Jesus, who's pointing to the Father. There's this sense that the Spirit doesn't necessarily want um, or, or crave that recognition in the Spirit itself, but pointing to the the other persons of the Trinity. But absolutely, we can pray to the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who is with us here. The Spirit is the one who draws us into community, gives us faith, helps us understand the scriptures, and draws us to Christ. So it's absolutely appropriate to say, you know, Spirit, speak again as I, as I open up the scriptures today, as you inspired those words long ago. Inspire my heart today to understand. Um, absolutely. Now that, now that we know what the Spirit is up to in the world, how do we attune our prayers to that? Yeah, great point. Great point. Any other questions or thoughts, Jerry? Yeah? Yeah? Sure. Yeah. It's a process. That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. Okay, if there are no other questions, I'm going to turn things over to Edith. Do you want this headset or do you want the handheld?
Now it's on. Okay, then it's loud. Um, so I guess I would want to leave it open uh, for us to to kind of prayerfully reflect because the Holy Spirit, I think, more than any other aspect of God is an experiential and not um, as much a, uh, an intellectual, how can I conceive of this? How do I manage this thought? Um, because it, it does not fit our enlightenment brains. The Holy Spirit um, is not something that we measure. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that are more tangible. But but the experience of the Holy Spirit is is not a measured. If I think these three things, then I know then the, that I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit. So I guess I'd I'd want to take a moment for you to reflect on, given the things that Pastor Michael has talked about. These are the ways that we understand the Spirit to be active and moving. Um. What might be times when you would point to, even if you didn't have the words, Jerry, to say, that's the Holy Spirit, that, that in our own experiences we'd say, that was Spirit-inspired, that was Spirit-led, that was the experience of the Spirit. And I want to read um, from Second Corinthians um, chapter 3. Uh, verse 17 and 18. This is one of the many passages where we, the Holy Spirit is referred to. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, no exclusions, all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, meaning the same image of our Lord Jesus Christ, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay, so again, this is pointing to, as, as Pastor Michael was talking about, the Holy Spirit is always pointing us towards Jesus, but it's not in an intellectual way. It is the, how am I seeing Jesus, and how does that transform me? How am I, by that Spirit, becoming more and more a reflection of Jesus Christ? So, um, does anybody want to share? <laughs> so this was a, maybe about two, three years ago. Uh, I went on a hike with my brother and my two friends, and uh, we were just having a normal hike in the woods. It was over by... Um, in Cuyahoga Falls area. Cuyahoga Falls. Um, so we were on the hike, and uh, I was with my friend, and he was, we were discussing just the uh, animals of the woods. And he was almost kind of complaining, saying, 
well, I wish I lived somewhere else where there was more exotic animals. I wish I could see flamingos and penguins or, and he, he really honed in on birds, um, parrots and cockatoos and things of that nature. And uh, I was really trying to make him realize, well, you know, if you reframe it, um, people from other countries would think our animals are exotic and think, wow, that's a, an amazing deer or amazing squirrel, like things like that we might take for granted. And so we continued on our hike and maybe five, 10 minutes later, I see something from the corner of my eye swoop in and uh, a large hawk, very large, uh, swooped over our heads, landed maybe the distance where I am to that table over there and looked right at us. And in that moment, we all kind of felt maybe a little bit of fear, but I knew in that moment that that was not a coincidence. That was something, something related to what we had spoken about earlier. So, and there was a distinct sense of this is connected. Uh, like I said, the hawk looked at us and we watched it as it spread its wings and flew away and we felt the gust and the power of this animal and it was just, it was uncanny. And I remember in that moment, I really felt that that was uh, something, uh, I felt at that time it was God, but I now conceptualize it more as the Holy Spirit working through the animal to make us realize that, you know, we are in God's presence, and it doesn't matter where we are, there is uh, God working through us all. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I took it as a spiritual um, experience. My friend, who is not even spiritual, um, he's, he still has trouble kind of conceptualizing what it was. He, he, he in the past, vehemently kind of denied Christ and said, well, there's really no way. But when I bring that up to him, he, he almost avoids the subject because he doesn't want to acknowledge that that happened. And it still kind of uh, brings a sense of uh, fear or maybe even awe to him. So mm -hmm. I thought I would share that experience. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things to point out in that is the sense that the Holy Spirit is always here. It, it is the sustaining of our lives. It is all around us. But do we have the eyes to see? Do we have the ears to hear? And, and there is an unnerve, unnerving aspect to that when, um, when we're not prepared or open to it. Um, and that's where that wind and fire aspect of the Holy Spirit comes in, is the power of that that is not controlled, is not it, it's not the dove image that we love so much that's the calm and the comforter. Um, it can be unnerving and sometimes a little scary. Anybody else want to share? Like they had. I didn't even know two of those kids that you're talking about. <laughs> oh, what would be my top thing? Oh, there's just, just too many that I that I could uh, come up with. But uh, let me kiss you next week. I'll, I'll make a list up. So think about how. I'm sorry. What was your name? Derek, as Derek's talking about it, it points you to God's presence, that 
that the Holy Spirit is always going to point us beyond what is evident in that moment to God's presence, to Jesus, to how are we to respond and move and be empowered beyond. So, you know, I I can share um, a personal moment for me was um, the first miscarriage that I had. Um, I grieved terribly, um, deepest grief I've ever experienced of many griefs in my life. And um, I was alone, um, was um, in kind of the Native American keening. You know, I was rocking and sobbing and just wailing. And it was in the midst of that, that that sense of that peace beyond understanding, the comfort of God, the awareness that I was not alone, that um, I couldn't say I had an image or a sound, but it was a tangible awareness of being enveloped by God's love and and pushing me beyond that deep despairing grief to God's loving presence, God's hope for future, for Christ's ability to redeem even that great sorrow. And that's an to me an evidence, an experience of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it's in a large community environment. How are we empowered to bring God's presence into the community, into Canton? And sometimes it's in very personal experiences, like Derek had in the woods, like I had alone in grief. And that's why it's so hard for us to talk about, because it is the Holy Spirit's activity is as broad as life itself. And it is as personal as each one of us. And, and so I would, I would really encourage each one of us to, to crave a greater sensitivity, to ask for the Holy Spirit to, to enliven us to be more sensitive, to be more open to responding as the Spirit inspires us. Um, Because the church, here, here, I'll get on a soapbox here, Um, particularly mainline churches, but the church in the United States, because we have been afraid of the Holy Spirit, because of some of the extremes that have been done in the emotionalism um, that we have stepped back from the power of the Holy Spirit that we have made the church and by extension Jesus Christ um, impotent in the world and um, so in many ways when we're talking about all this theology when we have cut off the Holy Spirit from our theology. We have cut off 
the power of the Holy Spirit. We have cut off the power to move and transform culture just as Paul is saying when we look into the to the Holy Spirit will show us Jesus Christ and in that process transform us. If we can't do that in the church, how can we possibly do that outside of the church? And so the Holy Spirit is essential. Yeah. Yeah, Greg. I totally agree <laughs> and support you. Um, and I think one of the things that we overlook where the Holy Spirit can touch us comes on the front page there on 61. It's, it's through the word. And I, I, I have to guard my heart because three times the, today already, once in my personal, once with my wife, and now here, through the word of God, the Holy Spirit inspired me. And I, and I think when it's tied to the Word of God, it happens all the time, multiple times a day, any time we engage in the Word of God. And so I, I, I have to guard my heart <laughs> that I'm not looking for something other than what comes out of the Word every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When I was in the Army, I was going to, I had about three different uh, cardiology, oncology, and so forth that I was going to go in, but I couldn't make up my mind which one. And the last thing the officer does is cut up his officer's club card. And so I was on my way to do that, and I ran into a good friend of mine who was the assistant chief of gastroenterology. Uh, Bob says, hey, I, I, got, I got something amazing for you. He said, uh, this uh, guy that's supposed to be the fellow in gastroenterology, he's turned it down. His wife's going to divorce me if he stays in the Army another day. So uh, Bob says, go down and talk to Colonel Moser, who's the chief of, of medicine. Now, he didn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit in his thoughts, at least that he ever told me. But he says, Jerry, I want you to go home, talk with Joanne, and come back in the morning tell me that God is coming down to tell you to be a gastroenterologist. And you'll take, come back and tell me to take that fellowship. You'll take that fellowship tomorrow, and we'll, the Patrick was supposed to come the next day. We canceled that, and it's been six more years. And, So can we're running out of time. Can I say a quick prayer as we, as we disperse? Lord God, we thank you that you continually reach out to us, that your spirit is always present, prompting us. And we ask that you would cultivate in us a yearning to be more open, to be more receptive to the ways in which your spirit would lead and guide us through your scriptures, through your people, through nature, through all the ways in which you reach out to us. Help us to be attentive and give us the courage to respond faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name, knowing that he was 
an example of following your spirit. Amen.